If you take your Bibles tonight, turn them open to Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 19, and pick, off where, pick up where we finished off uh, last week as we looked at the return of the Lord and we looked at the description of the Lord. How many are glad that he's coming again, amen? And we sang about it in one of those songs tonight. Any day now, the Lord can return for the church. And we understand that meeting will take place in the air. And then the Lord will return in bodily form to this earth. And he will rule and reign. And we'll get into that tonight. But I'm glad that he's coming. Amen. And as we look forward to that, find your place in Revelation. And then I'd also encourage you to find Joel chapter number three tonight. Uh, Joel chapter number three. And I'll give you a few minutes to find that. Uh, that's, those, that's why he's one of those minor prophets, not because what he said was less important. He just didn't get to say as much as Jeremiah did. Uh, and Isaiah did. He's considered a minor prophet for the length of his prophecy. Uh, and that's in the Old Testament, the book of Joel. Uh, but there is a mention there and a description of the battle that we're going to talk about tonight. And so you've got to realize, when, when did God figure all this stuff out in eternity past? Nothing that will take place between now and forever will ever take God by surprise. God is, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's Alpha and Omega. And uh, I would encourage you uh, to be very wise and be very discerning on who you decide to listen after. Uh, my wife showed me something this week. If you've ever heard of it, I'd encourage you to stay far away from it. And it is the Bible for normal people. It is a, it's a social media group. It is a a group of theologians, and uh, they claim that they, have, they, they just spend all day reading their Bible and studying the Word of God and, and applying it, and they've got PhDs in theological studies. And Miss Becky showed me some of the videos. I said, how in the world did you read the Bible all day long and get that wrong on it? <laughs> and it's not just so much that there is, there's small things that are off on. They are heresy, absolute total heresy. Things like this, the rapture's not going to happen. That Jesus did not preach in a literal preach of or talk about a literal hell. That creation really didn't take six days. That it, and they'll say things like this: Your Bible becomes better when you don't have to hold on to these almost impossible thoughts. <laughs> and I just watched, I said, "This is absolutely ludicrous. This is crazy. How in the world? I don't claim to know it all." Matter of fact, I'm, I'm just as much of a student of the Word of God as you are. But it's hard for me to read my Bible and say, well, there's no such place as a literal hell. It's just a metaphysical place. It is just a, a figment of our imagination. What we're going to see tonight in Revelation 19, God sends two people into the lake of fire alive. You don't send alive people to fake places or made-up mind places. Pretend places. We go to real places. But Revelation chapter 19, keep your place in Joel. We'll get there eventually tonight. But Revelation 19, go down to verse number 17 tonight. You say, preacher, you ought not to call them out like that. We ought to. Because I don't want that stuff getting into your life. If, if somebody teaches the Bible and you walk away from it more confused in doubting the word of God, if I preach tonight and I preach behind the pulpit and when I'm done... Uh, I have left you in doubt of the word of God, I have failed. Amen. And not just failed, but failed miserably. Right? And you watch something and it begins to, to attack the credibility of God's word and uh, the, 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 the truth of God's word. They'll even, that, that group will even say there's no such thing as an errant Bible. 
that the word of God is not without fallacies and mistakes. Stay far away from it. Because if there's a mistake in this book, then how do you know you can actually be saved? This book is without error tonight. There's a lot of things that we may try and we may, we may look into, but there's some things we're not bending on tonight. We're not, I'm, not, I'm not getting away from the word of God. Preacher, I would love if maybe on Wednesday nights we could start showing a few movies in here. Do a, do a couple dramas. I'm not against dramas or plays, but it does not replace the preached word of God. Come here Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, we're going to open up the Bible. And we're going to preach because it's what, it's what we need. Right? But Revelation chapter 19 tonight, so stay far away. Stay far away from the Bible for normal people. <laughs> and when you find it, turn it off and say, this is my Bible for me. Amen. And don't trust any theologians. Amen. There's probably, there probably are some good ones out there. But uh, if they got to throw, throw around their weight and to tell you how smart they are, just run from them. Amen. Just find somebody who doesn't know two plus two but just loves the Lord and takes the Bible as a literal book and in its context, amen. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Go down to verse number 17. The Bible says, I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and in great. We're going to see tonight that Revelation 19, verse number uh, 7, there is a marriage supper of the Lamb. But then we're going to see at the latter portion of this chapter, there's another supper. But it is a one with a grim invitation. The Bible said in verse number 19, And I saw the beast, Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. That is speaking of the Lord who has returned there in verse number 11. And against his army, that's you and I. <laughs> you know, Satan wasn't just, Satan wouldn't be just settled with destroying you and I. He wants to destroy you, I, and the Lord. Look at verse 20. The beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a metaphysical place. Into the lake of fire. It's a literal, real place tonight where the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into. Those both were cast into the lake of fire of burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for tonight. Lord, we do thank you for our Bibles. Lord, I want to say thank you, Lord, for the love that you've put in my heart for your word. Lord, it isn't just a good book, which it is, isn't just an encouraging book, which it is, but Lord, it's a true book. Lord, your word reads me far better than I could ever imagine, ever dream. Lord, it is the discerner of my thoughts. It discerns the intents of my heart. It goes deeper than any other man-made book in this world. Because Lord, our Bible isn't just man-made, it is God-breathed. We thank you, Lord, for a perfect book. We thank you, Lord, for a personal book. We thank you, Lord, for a powerful book. And I pray, Lord, as long as we are here and as long as we are allowed to stay, and Lord, as we are serving you, help us to stay firm upon the word of God. 
And as churches fall and fail and they turn to social things and social issues and popularity contests and entertainment, God help us maintain the old path. Lord, help us to stand upon what we know works. Help us, Lord, to stay with the word of God, the power of God, the preaching of the word of God, old-fashioned worship, Lord, heartfelt worship, real, uh, not manufactured and not uh, fake worship tonight. But, Lord, as we just simply come to lift you up, Lord, knowing that if we'll lift you up, you'll draw all men to yourself. And I ask you tonight that you're behind the cross of Calvary. God, give me clarity of speech. God, me out of myself and fill me with the spirit of God. But what a wonderful privilege it is, God, to open up your word, to expound upon it, to exegete the scriptures, to preach, thus saith the Lord. I pray, Lord, tonight that I'd never lose sight of what is really important. God, you did not call me to entertain. You did not call me to make everybody feel good. But God, you've put preach in my heart, and I'm thankful for that tonight. We do ask you tonight that you just help us to listen on purpose. Help us, Lord, to understand these truths tonight as you've laid them out to us in the scriptures. Well, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So preacher, what is the subject for tonight? What is, what is, what is the next thing on, on God's timeline? He has returned to earth. He has uh, returned to the throne of David there in Israel. And tonight, as we, as we see tonight, we're gonna talk about the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon. Now, World War II was deemed the war to end all wars. It was the war that was supposed to stop all other wars from taking place. Now, we may not have had a global skirmish or global war like we did then, but we have seen attacks and conflicts and battles and wars between nations since that day. You say, well, preacher, if if, if World War II was the war to end all wars, why are we still having wars? Because sin is still in this world. Men still are selfish. Pride is still the real thing. And, and nothing, uh, we're, we're going to see tonight that as, as things go on, and the Bible, Jesus said that we'll have rumors of wars, right? It's going to be something that is going to take place in our society until, until Christ himself comes and rids the world of all of that stuff. And we're going to see tonight, we're going to look at the battle of Armageddon. Now, here's the thing. The, the, the media today, we're living in a time that I, I firmly believe that we are closer to something like World War III than we've ever been. It seems like we are on the verge of a great global conflict. And they will tell you, if you listen to the media, they'll say, we are moments, we are, we are days, we are, we are inches away from Armageddon. Can I say tonight, if, if war breaks out on a global scale tonight, it may be World War III, but it will not be the Battle of Armageddon. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Because the Battle of Armageddon doesn't play, take place until after the tribulation. Matter of fact, it is, the, it is the, the thing that takes place as the tribulation is over. And we're going to see tonight as we look at this. So keep that in mind, right? Keep that in mind as you're living in today. And, and very well, we, I, I hope not. I, that's not my desire. I'm not excited about it. But if war does break out, no, rest assured tonight that it is not the battle of Armageddon. Because when the battle of Armageddon comes, I will not be drafted into it. I will not be, be called upon by my government to lead in it, but rather I will return on a white throne behind my Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to raise one rifle. I'm not going to raise one sword. I don't have a spear I can throw. I'm just going to step back and say, Lord, you do what you do best. <laughs> But tonight, as we look at the battle of Armageddon, you say, well, preacher, where does that name come from? Well, somebody picked it a long time ago to scare people. 
No, that's not where it comes from. Matter of fact, it comes from the description of the place where this battle is going to take place. Where's it going to take place at? It's going to take place in the Valley of Megiddo or the Battle of Armageddon. It's where we get it from. Well, preacher, where is Megiddo? It is outside of Jerusalem in the plain of Jezreel. It is a literal place, right? It is, I think one of the Roman soldiers or generals of bygone eras said that the Valley of Megiddo is the world's greatest battlefield because of its levelness and the, and the, the flatness of it, that it is, it is the world's greatest battlefield. And matter of fact, if you got on a plane tonight, you could go and see the Valley of Megiddo. You can, you can walk where this battle's going to take place. And, he said, and really what it is, the Antichrist and the false prophet and those that have took the mark of the beast and those who have pledged their allegiance to the Antichrist have moved in on the remnant there in Israel and they're preparing to attack. And then Jesus comes back. And we're going to see tonight what, what takes place. So notice when we see those that are involved. Right, verse number 19 and 20, we, we see the word or the, the, the name, and I saw the beast. Now, we learned a few weeks ago the beast is the Antichrist. Right, that is another name for him because of his demeanor, because of his, his, his attitude, because of his ferociousness. He is, he is, he is exemplified and, and displayed as a beast. He is not humane. He does not care for the, or value life in that sense. He is a beast. And we see tonight the Bible says the, the Antichrist, he's that global leader, the man empowered, endued by Satan uh, to, to dominate and deceive the world. And the world, at this point, the world is in his control, right? He is, he is governing, he is in charge, he is ruling and reigning upon a, a worldly throne. And we're going to see that he's there. Then we see the false prophet also there in verse number 20. And the Bible says the beast was taken with him, the false prophet, this is the leader of the one world religion. He is the one who comes in and uses miracles to deceive the people. He is the one that produces that image of the Antichrist and through his sorcery and through his, his, his dark uh, ability, he gives a, a life to that image and people fall down and say, oh, we must worship the Antichrist for the image has life. It's amazing what these people will believe when Jesus Christ himself was dead and he rose again the third day. I can't believe that. But can I say tonight, there will be a group of people through this deception that will follow him. Not only does he use miracles to deceive the people. See, when Jesus came and did miracles, when he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, when he healed his blinded eyes, when he caused the lame to walk again, when he gave sight to the blind and gave uh, hearing to the deaf, he did not do so because he was trying to deceive people. Rather, he was declaring to them, I am God. And so we see tonight the false prophet has come in and he's used these miracles to deceive the people away and to have them to follow after the Antichrist. But not only does he use miracles, but he also uses massacre. He's the one that brings out the number of the beast. That 666 number we talked about a few weeks ago. So preacher, how's that massacre? If you don't take it, you ain't eaten. If you don't take it, you'll be put to death. And so he uses these things not to lead the people like we talked about this morning as, 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 a, as a good master to, who cares for those that he has under his authority, but rather as a means to control them. And so the, the, the Antichrist will be there. The false prophet will be there. And then you read also, it talks about the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth. It talks about there in uh, verse number 18, talks about the flesh of the kings. It also says right there in verse 
number 20, I believe, verse number 19. It talks about the kings of the earth. Yeah, verse number 19, I saw the kings of the earth. These are those who have pledged complete and total allegiance to the Antichrist and their allegiance has allowed them to be promoted within his governmental system. You say, well, preacher, that, how does that happen? Well, I want you to think about like the Nazis. How, does a, how did a man move up in the Nazi regime? He had to put, uh, pledge complete and total allegiance to Hitler himself and not just I, I hail Hitler, not just I, I, I'm for Hitler, but he had to prove that. Right, men like Himmler, Heinrich Himmler, who would go and, and, and slaughter Jews as a way to impress Hitler. And so these men, they've not only pledged allegiance to the Antichrist, they have carried out his, his devilish things. They have, they have been right behind him the whole time, and he has given them a position in his government. Think about communist Russia. How do you move up in communism? You rat out somebody else. You, you make sure you put them down before they can put you down. He said, preacher, is it really that bad? Is communism really that bad? It's amazing to me how in the 50s and the 60s, preachers preached hard against communism. And I'm thankful that they did, right? Because it is not a, it is not a Christian thing. It, it is not what we strive for. There is a big, he said, well, preacher, we just haven't tried it in a perfect environment. Well, look around you. We don't have any of that right now. And right, he said, well, how does one move up in communism? Did you know that there are children who will rat out their parents in communism? Matter of fact, I, I remember being in Albania, and the man that we were talking to, he was about this tall. And I, I can't remember his name. It was Beatty or something like that. He was telling us a story about how he learned English. He said when he was a young boy under communism, he said they would turn the radio, and if you turned it just right, you could catch BBC BBC would be, would be, the British Broadcasting Company would be sending radio waves into Albania. And he would turn that thing on and he would listen to it. And he remembers he was listening one day and his dad walked in. And he said, son, you're not supposed to listen to that. We're not supposed to do that. And he, he said, I remember telling my dad, well, listen, the only way the government's going to find out is if you turn me in. He said, thankfully, my dad never did. He said, but there were countless others who did. See, that's in itself, that's what communism produces. And we're going to see here tonight, and we see here in our, our Bible, the kings of the earth, they have excelled to these positions, not because they're worthy and noble men, but they were willing to do whatever was asked of them by the Antichrist. And now they have been promoted. They are the kings of the earth. And here they've come. They've come together to take on God and to take on Israel. We see their armies, the Bible says they march in support, their defense. And here's, here's the sad thing. They have no clue how bad they've been deceived. How bad they have been lied to. And so we see all these in verses 19 in verse number 20. But in verse number 11, we are reminded that they aren't the only ones there. That the Lord himself is there, and so is the Lord's armies. That's where we'll be at tonight. So we see those that are involved in the battle of Armageddon. We see the intent in verse number 19. Why have they gathered together? Verse 19 said they have gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. The Antichrist, his name is literally Antichrist. And so his desire is to do nothing more than to destroy the Lord. They have finally defeat and destroy the Lord, which has always been Satan's desire. Has always been Satan's goal. Is, it, 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 this isn't his first attempt. 
Never has he been, nor will he ever be successful tonight at defeating the Lord. But notice this is an all-out effort. Take your Bibles and turn to Joel tonight. Joel chapter number 3. Go to verse number 9 of Joel chapter number 3. If you're there, shake your head. Amen. Because I want you to see something in here. The Bible said in verse number nine, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. This is Joel speaking prophetically concerning the battle of Armageddon. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. We don't just need a few. Get everybody that is able-bodied. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. In essence, get you a weapon. Take your rake and turn it into a machine gun. Right, get ready to fight. Get ready to take on the Lord. Now watch this. Let the weak say, I am strong. Boy, is that not the generation we live in? I don't need anybody else. I don't need God. I don't need the Bible. I don't need, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I'm strong myself. We are living in the I generation. We're living in the selfie generation and we see here in Joel, let the weak say, I'm strong. I don't need, I can do this. <laughs> I can win this battle. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about. Thither calls thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And so we see tonight their intent is to come out all stops against the Lord Jesus Christ, to defeat him, to take him out. We can see the effect you say, preacher, we can see the effect tonight that the minority has had in America. See, we live in it because of the media. We think this idea of homosexuality, transgenderism, rejecting God's word is actually the popular opinion. We're talking about less than 1% of the, our, our population that identify and that are ascribed to that. And we see the, the, the damage that it's caused in our society. We see the issues that it's risen up. Imagine when the 1% goes to 100%. And we see that tonight. And so this whole crowd has come against. We have the Antichrist. We have, we have the false prophet. We have the kings of the earth. We have their armies. And they have come with one intent to take out the Lord. Then not only this, we see number three, we see their instant defeat. We see their instant defeat. Look at verse number 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against the army and there was a great battle and there was a great struggle and Jesus barely won. Verse 20, the beast was taken. <laughs> he, we're here to fight. The next verse is he's already captured. <laughs> he's already been taken. One commentator, one man I was reading after, he said we have no idea how they were taken. He said we just know it happens real quick. They don't even get their intent out of their heart. And Jesus has already captured them. He said, I don't, he said we don't know if he did it himself. We did it with his word or we sent some angels. We just know that they have been taken captive. I saw the beast and the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before them. Here's the thing. 
What's that saying? Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Something like that. <laughs> Might have said it backwards. I don't know. But you would think by now, when we get to the book of Revelation, Satan would learn he ain't going to win. You would think that he would he'd figure that out because every time he has tried to take out the Lord Jesus Christ, he's lost. He's been defeated. And I got to thinking about that. There's a consistent theme in which Satan is defeated. What is it, preacher? The word of God. God's word. Well, think about it this way. The first time we know of, of Satan in the New Testament trying to take out Jesus is when he puts it in the heart of Herod to slaughter every baby under the age of two. Let me ask you tonight, how did Joseph know to leave? Did Joseph just say, you know, I got a good idea. Mary, let's go to Egypt. I mean, we're espoused and all. Let's go enjoy our honeymoon over there. <laughs> let's go celebrate the, the birth of the Savior. Let's go to Egypt. No, the Bible says the angel of the Lord came unto Joseph with a message from God himself. Get into Egypt. <laughs> I could see saying, oh, I got him. He's just a helpless babe. And God said, I got a word that's fixing to defeat you. Then you scroll on a little bit further. What about the temptation of Christ? The Bible said that Satan came and began to tempt Christ three times. He tempted him. And three times Jesus said, it is written. Number two, he failed. Why? Because of the word of God. Think about this. You read in John chapter number 10. The, 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 the Pharisees have got upset with the Lord. Why? His word messed up their religion. And they said, we're going to stone him. And Jesus said, catch me. And disappeared out of the midst of them. Satan thought, man, I've got a great religion here in Israel. It is going to destroy the Lord. And Jesus said, i got a word that will defeat all that. <laughs> then you come to Revelation chapter number 19. Or, wait, wait hold on. We can't, go, we can't say anything without passing by Calvary. Oh, I could see the hands being nailed to the cross and the feet being nailed to the cross and the side being cut with the spear and the crown of thorns on his head. He cries, it is finished. And here is Satan celebrating. Yes, it is finished. He is done. He is dead for. But Jesus already said, I will lay down my life and I will raise it up again. The third day, this temple will be built again. Jesus had already defeated him with what? The word. <laughs> and you get to Revelation chapter number 19. Here comes the Antichrist. He's chest bowed out. Here comes the false prophet. Here comes the armies of the world and they are prepared for battle. We have made war against the one on the horse. And Jesus said, I got a word for you. <laughs> How do you know that preacher? Because it tells us so in the earlier chapters in verse number, oh man, where's it? I can't see it. Verse number 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he shall smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of God. Oh, Jesus said, now, this is probably not what the Lord said or how he's going to say it, but here's how I'd say it. That's cute. I got a word for you. And at his word, they are taken and defeated and thrown into the lake of fire, alive. You don't throw alive people in the metaphysical places. They are literally dealt with before our eyes. We're going to see it. We're going to watch it. We're not going to say, oh, Lord, take it easy on them. We're going to 
Hallelujah, Lord. Blessed be your name forever. You've done it exactly right. That's my God and that's my Savior. The beast and the false prophet are the cast in the lake of fire. Verse 21, and everyone was slain by the sword which proceeded out of his mouth. Look at verse number 21. And the remnant, this is talking about those that had come with the Antichrist, were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls of the air were filled with their flesh. We see their intent. We see their instant defeat. And notice number four tonight, and we'll be done. There was a grim invitation. Verse seven, we see, a mar- we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a wonderful time that's going to be. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, how we like to joke about, we like to talk about what's going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, how there's going to be fried chicken, there's going to be collard greens, there's going to be cornbread. Really what that comes from is preachers just get hungry while they're preaching. And we figure if we talk about it, it might ease some of our suffering. The reality is when I talk about food, I just get hungrier <laughs> and more hungrier. Right, but the reality is we see the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're not going to argue about what's going to be at the table because we're just excited at who's at the table. Right? When you have Christ, you don't need anything else. What do you tell that woman? I, uh, if, you, if you had one drink of this water, you'd never thirst again. Told us, I have bread that you know not of. Man, man that's just not, if we learn to depend upon the Lord and nothing else, we'll find out he's more than enough. But there's the marriage supper in chapter uh, 19, verse number 7. But in verse number 21, we see there is a miserable supper. What a gruesome time. Notice this. Notice the observations about this invite. Look at verse number 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Notice what the angel did not say. Well, listen. Birds, come here. And if everything goes well, and everything works out, and God is able to defeat them, then you'll have a great supper. Notice in verse number 17 precedes verse number 19. The angel and the son had already given the command. Birds, get ready. There's going to be a great battle. There's going to be a great loss. There's going to be great death. Look at verse number 17. The Bible said, and they come to gather yourselves together unto the great supper of the Lord. Then he told them what was on the menu in verse number 18. They may eat the flesh of the kings, of the flesh of the captains, and the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses, and then that sit upon them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Didn't leave anybody out. Here's the thing. When, when the Lord returns and he executes judgment in righteousness, he doesn't miss. He doesn't miss. He, he is absolutely perfect. Here's it. What a sight. I'm not trying to gross you out tonight, but what a sight that's going to be. We are going to watch the armies of the world be slain at the word of Christ, the words that proceed out of his mouth. All the fowls of the air feasting on the flesh of the defeated armies. Now, some things, <laughs> as I pastor, I've been learning and been, been, been having to Google some strange questions. I was studying this and and I don't know how you think about this or what you think. I know the Bible says the fowls of the air. But when I think of a bird that is feasting on something that is dead, I think of a vulture or a buzzard. Right? And so I got to thinking about this. Here is, we don't know the number. There's a great number of people that have been slain. There's bodies laying everywhere. 
And so that had, I had to Google it. How long? <laughs> I said, how long would it take a vulture to pick apart a human body? It's a weird thing to Google, isn't it? <laughs> That's not information that I just have on hand. <laughs> I didn't feel like prayer was necessary there. <laughs> and so I Googled that and I came across something that was, that was interesting. Which, I, I mean, it might not be interesting to you. But in America, really, when you die, we have one of two options here. Either we put you in a box and we put you in the ground, or you're cremated. Those are the two acceptable ways to be buried or to be uh, properly, uh, I didn't want to say disposed of, but properly uh, <laughs> done said it, amen. But there is a culture outside of Mumbai. They are the Zerosethonians. And in their culture, they have what are called towers of silence. And it is a pillar they have built up in a plane there. And when one of their loved ones dies, they carry that body and set it on top of that pillar. And a vulture comes in. And a pack of vultures. Don't know how they came up with this number. Don't know if someone sat there with a stopwatch. They said a pack of vultures could the average human being in a matter of 30 minutes have that body completely picked clean. I read that and here's what I thought. I said, I hope that tradition never catches on in America. Well, how would you like to be disposed of? Burial, cremation, or a tower of silence? <laughs> Amen. Put me in a pine box and drop me in the ground somewhere. Amen. Or put a whole bunch of formaldehyde in me and stand me up in the corner. There's our former pastor. Just go shake his hand. <laughs> but notice here tonight, here's what I got to thinking. What, what a sight that's going to be. What a sad sight that's going to be. What a shocking reality it's going to be of how great our God is. But I kept looking down at these vultures and studying them. And I found out the Latin name for vulture it literally means the cleansing wind. You said, preacher, what are they cleaning up for? What are they getting ready for? Why are they clearing out these bodies? Because the Lord's about to start his millennial reign. And there's about to be a time of peace for 100 years that this world has not known since the Garden of Eden. We're going we're to talk about it next week what, what, what it's going to be like in the millennial reign of Christ. We know Satan will be bound. Just think of that. For a thousand years, we're going to live here on earth and it's going to be, Satan ain't going to be tempting you. He ain't going to be whispering in your ear. He ain't going to be trying to draw you away. And we're going to watch our Savior rule and reign in a most wonderful atmosphere. That's where the Bible talks about the, where the, the kid will pick up the snake and it won't bite him. And I say, I don't care what the snake, I ain't picking it up. Lord, I believe you. Help down my unbelief. But here's the thing. That massacre and that judgment of sin has to be cleaned up and cleared out. And the Bible said it is exact. And here's the thing tonight. You have an invitation to one of those dinners. Which one's it going to be? Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open it, I will sup with you. 
I will, I will make a place for you at my table. But if you push me away and reject me, there's another supper you may have to face and go to. We see tonight, we see the battle of Armageddon. Hollywood likes to make it like it's going to be a great battle. It is going to be a great battle. Like a long, drawn-out thing. Like the Lord's going to get busted up and come back looking like Rocky. And his last final punch is going to destroy Satan. The Bible said they will stand and make their intent, and the next verse is they're taken. Jesus ain't going to play with them. He's going to show them right then and there and remind them exactly who is God. And I'm just glad tonight to know that I'm on the winning side. I'm glad I don't have to fear the battle of Armageddon. World War III might break out tomorrow, but I can go to bed at night and say, at least it ain't the battle of Armageddon. At least I, I know whose side that I'm on. And I know that he's going to win.